Thank you to uh, uh, James, Mina, the praise team. Uh, we're blessed with our music ministry, uh, the talented musicians uh, that have helped keep our worship going. So we thank you so much. I mean, we're in two weeks into 2022, and it's not necessarily started off the way most of us wanted to. I mean, back in 2021, which seems like a long time ago already, uh, we were looking forward to a more normal life. You know, a life where we could do more of what we wanted, when we wanted, where we wanted, and however we wanted. Sadly, this has turned out not to be the case yet. I think the interesting thing, though, is that uh, uh, at this point, once these changes were reinstated again, it was met with a collective just shrug and resignation. I think this uh, need to switch gears again has become very familiar. It was no longer shocking or traumatic. And so we're not really as affected on the outside. But I think if we peel back the layers, the ongoing nature of this pandemic has taken something from us. We don't feel these acute emotions uh, of these changes like we did at first anymore. But instead, we're starting not to feel much of anything now. Instead of shock and sadness that was there at first, we feel more numbness. Many people nowadays just stare at their screens all day or walk around their houses in, in kind of a daze or a fog, kind of mindlessly going through the routines of the day. Somehow, this, the sense of joy, awe, wonder, and excitement of life has been taken away. I think it's going to take a long time afterwards to process everything, but this is just a little bit of what I'm sensing right now. I think, if anything, the pandemic has really shown us how little life is in our control. It's shown us that life can pretty much throw us anything our way at any time. It can often lead us to undesirable situations that we cannot escape. I think we don't want to be in this pandemic, but we can't avoid it or escape it. And I think our lives are like this too. I think each one of us face very difficult things in life. These are difficult things that we don't want to have, but we cannot simply escape it. I think during the day and whatnot, we can try to ignore it and avoid it and distract ourselves away from it. But still, sometimes, uh, during sleepless nights or restless nights, there's something that gnaws away at us, something difficult that we just can't get rid of. And so the deeper I go into ministry, I've, I've, I've come to realize this, that all of us face unique challenges that make life difficult and just kind of start to weigh us down a little bit. And this difficulty is part of the human life. But I think for me, the important question is not whether these difficulties exist or not. I think they're just a fact of life. For me, the important question is how we respond to such unavoidable situations. Do these difficulties make us shrink? Or are we able to overcome and rise above them? And so I think how we respond makes all the difference in the quality of life we live. 
over the course of this pandemic, we've seen many people shrink, shrink their social circles, shrink from communication and interaction with others, shrink the excitement they feel, shrink the joy they experience, shrink the size of their hearts, shrink in their empathy and understanding, shrink into their own little world. You know, when difficulties first hit us, I think often we're a little optimistic and confident that we can handle it. We feel we can overcome it with our resilience, with our positive thinking and can-do attitude. But the longer our difficulties remain, the more they start to wear down on us and on our souls. And as they wear down on us, then they make us shrink. What we need, my friends, is the power to overcome and rise above our difficulties. Power to endure. Power to fight against numbness and apathy. Power to feel joy. Power to hope. Power to imagine new things. Power to transcend our difficulties and turn that into something beautiful. We need this kind of power in our lives. Because without it, our lives cannot flourish. Without it, we cannot remain whole. Without it, life in this world simply drains away our vitality. We need a power that is greater than what we have. This is not a power that comes from my good circumstances or position in life. It's not power that comes from my money or standing. It's a power that comes from deep within me. It's a power that I can't really articulate or describe, but especially when things get difficult, it's a power that rises and lifts me up and beyond what's going on in my life. This is the power that we need in our lives. This was the power that Jesus promised to his earliest followers. He said, he said this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. This was the last thing that Jesus said to his disciples before he ascended into heaven. This was a promise that Jesus gave. And it was a promise that began at Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came and filled everyone in that room with power. And they went out and started to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. People were drawn by the power of the message. It cut and pierced their hearts. And this movement started to grow and pour out into Jerusalem. And then they did indeed become witnesses in Judea and Samaria and beyond. But you want to know the interesting thing? This was not by intentional design or plan. It's not like some mission efforts today where, you know, there's a lot of strategy and thinking involved about where to go and where to evangelize. No. They became witnesses in these far-flung places by being scattered through persecution. 
In other words, Jesus' promise was fulfilled through intense suffering and hardship. In the chapter before today's passage, Stephen was the first Christian martyr. He was stoned to death. And that event began a series of serious persecution. Saul began going house to house, dragging people off into prison. People's lives were now in danger. And this dangerous persecution is what caused people to scatter. They scattered out into Judea, and even there wasn't safe, so they went even further into Samaria. And that's where today's passage takes place, in Samaria. What led Peter and John to go was Philip, he was one of the followers, and he ended up in Samaria. He didn't go there intentionally or by design. He went there because he was fleeing for his life. He was running away from danger and persecution in Jerusalem. The amazing thing is, Philip, even though he had to run for his life, he did not shrink in fear. Instead, even where he was, he began to proclaim the good news of Jesus. And so the people of Samaria experienced healing, miracles, and great joy from this message. Instead of shrinking, Philip had the power of the Spirit in him. And so out of this tragic situation and dangerous situation, God's power was revealed. And the thing is, the leaders back in Jerusalem heard about this, and, and it, this stirred up a great controversy. Because you see, the Samaritans were a despised people to the Jews. The Samaritans were uh, descendants of the northern kingdom of Israel. Back in the day after King David and Solomon, uh, they ruled a unified kingdom. After their reign, the kingdom was divided into two. Israel in the north, Judah in the south. At some point, Israel was conquered by Assyria. And their policy, their foreign policy was to uh, bring all these other conquered peoples into that conquered land and mix them, intermarry them. So that they would become diluted in blood and culturally too. And so in other words, that would weaken them because uh, they're all mixed now. And that was, the, the, their descendants became the Samaritans. So what happened was they kept uh, some basic elements of, of the Jewish kind of faith. But they also brought in a lot of foreign uh, religious ideas and cultures and what. So it was a very syncretic religion that they had. Not to the Jews. They despised this. The Samaritans, they were not kindred. They were an abomination. And not only that, historically, uh, later when the southern kingdom of Judah got into a lot of uh, a difficulty, the Samaritans actually sided against them and caused Judah to fall. So there was a lot of bitter hatred in their memory and then towards the Samaritans. Samaria was an undesirable place filled with undesirable people. And so for these leaders in Jerusalem, the news coming from Samaria made life more difficult for them because as it was, uh, they were being persecuted, persecuted by fellow Jews. They were being accused of not being Jewish, of abandoning the Jewish law and traditions. And so news that these 
Jewish Christians were preaching in Samaria was making it even harder on them. That's why they decided to send Peter and John to Samaria to investigate what's going on. And it's remarkable that John was one of the two that was sent. You know, John was one of uh, Jesus' OG, like original disciples, right? And during Jesus' ministry, uh, a Samaritan town actually had rejected Jesus. And so John responded with a lot of fury and anger, saying, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? His response was very typical of Jewish attitudes towards Samaritans. But here he was, being sent down to Samaria. This whole story shows that, you know what, the power and movement of the Spirit is not in our control. The Spirit goes where the Spirit goes. We do not choose when, where, and how, and to whom the Spirit manifests its power. And just because we have the Spirit, it, it doesn't mean that we control what happens to us. But wherever the Spirit is, any situation, even a tragic one, can become a witness to God's great power. Philip went to Samaria for safety, but the Spirit had other plans. For Peter and John, they went there to investigate, but the Spirit changed their views of Samaritans as undesirable people into a people who were desired and loved by God. That undesirable place became a place of God's power. And so the scattering that started from persecution led, in fact, to the outflow of God's grace and blessings to more people. It's an amazing turn of events from persecution to blessing. And this is how the Spirit led the early Christian movement. The Spirit lifted them up beyond their difficult circumstances. The Spirit opened up new paths out of their suffering. Rather than shrinking, they became bigger. Rather than being defeated, they experienced new power. This is what the Spirit did then, and this is what the Spirit does now. The Spirit gives us power to go beyond our present circumstances. The Spirit gives us power to experience life no matter what is happening around us and whatever forces are weighing down upon us. The Spirit gives us power to overcome and rise above that. And this is why St. Paul said, when I am weak, I am strong. When we are weakest, God's power manifests most clearly in our lives. We need the power of God in our lives. And all we need to do is simply ask. This is what Jesus said. So I say to you, ask and it will be given you. Search and you will find. Knock and the door will be open for you. For everyone who asks receives and everyone who searches finds. And for everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. 
If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Ask, search, and knock for the Spirit. And God will grant us that Spirit that gives us power. Our lives are and will always be filled with great difficulties and inescapable circumstances. We will face things in life that threaten to take away joy, hope, and the excitement of living. So seek God's power. It will help us overcome all these things. Reverend Kim is uh, away today. He's in London, Ontario. Um, he's preaching at uh, London Korean Christian Church. That church is part of our presbytery, so it's like a sister church. They've been around for 51 years. It's been a large part of the immigrant uh, community there in London. Because of recent decisions at the denomination regarding human sexuality and same-sex marriage, almost 90% of that church left and they went and formed a new church. Not just that, there was a lot of acrimony um, as they left and directed at those who remained, and th th there continues to be today. So the small number of people who remain, they're very hurt, angry. They're just heartbroken and devastated. I mean, many of these members have been there for decades. And in a small city like London, the church was their life. And so lifelong friendships have been severed. And all the English ministry leaders of the church, they all left. So right now, there's no English ministry. The church feels empty. And there's a real sense of devastation. And it's been so difficult to, to see them going through such difficulty. Reverend Kim is there to comfort them and to preach the word of God to them. They are crushed with sorrow. But the message from today tells us that devastation is not where things end. The message is that in this tragic circumstance, the power of God will be manifested more clearly. And that is my prayer. From this sad situation has sprung one ray of hope. The vision of the remaining members is uh, for them to leave a church for the next generation. I mean, they're all older now. I mean, what are they going to do just by themselves? They want a church to be there for the next generation. We have actually at our church around eight or nine students uh, at Western right now. I spoke to some of them uh, to see if they're maybe interested in starting an English ministry there. And they got really excited about this. And that got me really excited too. And I shared this news with members of the church there. And they too were very delighted to hear it. Because they didn't know what to do or how to go about building a church for the next generation. You know, and I just feel that this is a great opportunity. Our students, you know, they, they've grown up in this church. They love this church. But they've never really had a ministry that was totally their own. It's always somehow been more of their parents' church rather than theirs. But this opportunity presents a chance for them to have true ownership of the ministry and grow their faith 
as they start something new. And so some of them even went this morning to hear Reverend Kim speak and to meet members of the church there. Out of the ashes, a new opportunity and new hope has arisen. I mean, I don't know how things will go. It's very difficult to start a new ministry from nothing. Our students will need a lot of prayers and support. The church will need a lot of prayers and support. I'm praying that God takes this tragic circumstance and makes something beautiful from it. I have faith that God will. Because that is what the Spirit of God does. That is what the power of God does. I pray that this power may be alive and flourish in each of you. I know it hasn't been an easy time for many of us. We can feel the weight of all that's going on in our lives and around us. But let's put our trust in God. Whatever difficulties you're facing now, trust in God and God's power to take you beyond this present difficulty to new places that you could not have imagined before. That is what our God does, and that is what our God will do for each and every one of us. Amen. Let us sing together now.